0: You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles.
1: I took all of it, put it into a glass pipe, and smoked it away. Ended up destitute, incarcerated, spending nights in homeless shelters, nowhere near employable. Today, as you kindly mentioned, I have published a book. My live stream has always been to be an author.
0: My guest today is named Ed Cressy. He was once arrested by the FBI and then later recognized with a community service award by the FBI director. He is the author of the book, My Addiction and Recovery. Just because you're done with drugs doesn't mean drugs are done with you. Welcome to the show, Ed. Great to be here, Brett. Thanks. Absolutely, man. I'm excited to hear more about your story. I was talking with uh, Sydney and she sent me a, a link to a video that you had uploaded a while back and I was intrigued by the story and just that intro that I read, man, tell me more about that.
1: Sure. Well, in 2006, I was arrested by the FBI I was at uh, the tail end of a devastating 11 year addiction to methamphetamine. My uh, addiction involved what's known as meth psychosis, which I believe is similar to paranoid schizophrenia for me what that meant was i believed in this vast fbi conspiracy that had targeted me as an individual because i had inadvertently befriended a 9-11 hijacker therefore the fbi had architected this vast conspiracy involving my family my friends my former employers everyone i'd ever known and encountered in this conspiracy, went back to before I was born. The FBI was sending invisible stealth bombers that beamed the disembodied voices into my head. Brett, I could go on and on and on. The point is I was deep in this meth psychosis FBI conspiracy in 2006. I'd been in meth psychosis since 2003, so I spent about a total of four, four and a half years really in this uh, state of paranoid schizophrenia. In 2019, fast forwarding a few years, the director of the FBI, the actual director, now this is, this is reality, <laughs> we've we moved, we moved past the delusional parts. In 2019, the director of the FBI was shaking my hand. In the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., Christopher Wray, the FBI director, was presenting me with a community service award, one of the highest honors the FBI bestows upon civilians. I was one of 57 Americans to be recognized. The FBI, so much to their credit, recognized me for the work that I have done to reduce recidivism and addiction in the San Francisco Bay area, which was my home for many years. It's a beautiful story of second chances. Thanks to God. Thanks to the spirits. Thanks to so many amazing, remarkable people who extended second chances to me. Not only did I overcome a life of selfishness, a life of poor decisions, a life in which I had taken so much of what society offers. Society bestowed upon me many blessings, a college education, home ownership in the wonderful city of San Francisco. I'd had a career with the firm that was named the number one best company in America to work for by Fortune Magazine, this firm was called Genentech. They were a biotech firm. Genentech treated me very well during the five or so years I was there. I had a career with Stanford University, believed by many to be one of the finest institutions of higher learning in the world. I took all of that, but I had this wonderful dog, this incredible dog. I had many, many loving relationships. I took all of it, much more, put it into a glass pipe, and smoked it away. Ended up destitute, incarcerated, spending nights in homeless shelters, nowhere near employable. Thanks again to God, spirituality, the spirits, many amazing people. Today, as you kindly mentioned, I have published a book, which is my life's dream. My life's dream has always been to be an author. Not only that, but more importantly, at least to me, more importantly, we're donating my book to incarcerated persons who are turning their lives around in the in the time my my book has been out. We've donated 500 copies. We've done donated 425 copies and 75 copies just got approved. Our goal is to get a copy of my book into the library of every correctional facility in the United States. So those incarcerated people have the opportunity to benefit from the wisdom that was so generously passed along to me from so many incredible people. It's a it's a wonderful story. Ultimately, my, my story proves that with spiritual principles guiding our lives, we can truly overcome even the most challenging obstacles. The the depths of psychosis, the, the depths of, of terror and horror that I rose above, thanks again to God and incredible people, spiritual principles, along with hard work and along with a lot of help, allowed me to not only quit drugs, to not only survive, but to really triumph. And, and triumph insofar, it's, it doesn't mean I'm a great person. It doesn't mean, I'm like my heroes, Nelson Mandela or or MLK or anything like that, it means triumph to me means I'm allowed to give something back to society. I'm allowed to have come from a place of being a selfish, privileged white male who took the unfair advantages society bestowed upon me and selfishly Uh, selfishly threw away the many blessings of that that were bestowed upon me. I, I was able to come from all that and triumph. And again, triumph means I'm in a place where I am able to, I am allowed to volunteer inside maximum security prisons, helping others transform their lives. I'm allowed to assist law enforcement, better serve communities affected by incarceration and addiction it's a wonderful thing and for for you the listener you know your challenges especially in this day and age your challenges may be worse than mine or more difficult than mine the obstacles you face may seem more insurmountable than the obstacles i faced wherever you are in your life i believe that spiritual principles can can help you not only survive because we're not about survival You know, we're, we're not about, uh, we're not about getting by we want. At least from my perspective, we want to be about living our best lives. We want to be about triumphing over our obstacles. We want to be about bringing our best selves to the world around us. These types of things from my perspective have got to be our goals. How how can we really bring our best selves? How can we truly live our best lives when we set forth with spiritual principles, With attitudes of service, self improvement, and about giving to the world around us, at least in my life, I've been very fortunate. I worked very hard. I've also been very fortunate. I found that triumph is possible despite even the most devastating seeming obstacles and the most hopeless seeming circumstances.
0: Man, I love that message that you just shared right there at the end, because I've done that. I've gone that route of, I guess it'd be like the quote-unquote dry drunk. Type thing where I've abstained from drugs for a period of time, but wasn't working an active program, wasn't doing anything to change my life or apply spiritual principles into my life. And I was completely miserable and I'm in the same boat as you where if I'm not doing something to improve my life, if my if my actions aren't showing that, that my life is improving, if, if something's not changing, if I'm just abstaining from drug use, that's great but that's not enough for me anymore. I need to continue to grow. I need to continue to learn about these spiritual principles and how to apply them in my life. So I love that you made that point.
1: Yeah. Well, you said it so well, Brett, the challenge for many of us who struggle with addiction is that drugs are not our problem. Drugs, drinking, gambling, Unhealthy relationships, social media, whatever we may be engaged in addictively, those things are not our problem. Often, those are our attempt at a solution. We're using those things. In my case, I used drugs so I did not have to deal with the difficult aspects of my life. I, I used drugs so I didn't have to think about the fact that I hated myself. Deep down inside, I hated myself. I was always the bullied kid who wouldn't stand up for himself on the playground. I was always the person who had a dream of being an author yet never had the discipline or perseverance to pursue my dream. All the negativity I felt towards myself and projected onto the world around me in the form of resentments and anger and hostility, all of that I could tamp down with drugs, heavy, heavy drug use. For many of us, the the drugs or whatever addictive behavior, the social media, the eating, the workaholism, whatever it may be, these are our attempts to not have to face life's difficult challenges. And if if you're like me, you find the insidious thing about addictive behavior is that it works as a solution. It works. I mean, for me, it worked. I, I could tamp down the negativity with heavy drinking and drug use. It worked for me for... I don't know, 15 years I could succeed in other areas of life and I didn't have to think about the the work I needed to do on myself. The problem is when addictive behaviors fail us, they often fail catastrophically. That was certainly the case for me when drugs failed me as a solution. All of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but eventually I found myself in places like homeless shelters, behind bars, flop house, hotels, the The ultimate challenge I found is that when we get into a period of recovery when we put our addictive behaviors behind us we have to venture into the unknown That's a very uncomfortable situation for many of us we, we don't have drugs or addictive behaviors as a solution anymore now we've got to go into the unknown and human beings were sort of programmed to remain in circumstances that are familiar it's a familiarity is is comfort and Comfort, as we know, is not the same as happiness. You put it so well, Brett. Because if we're going to venture into the unfamiliar, if we're going to go into that uncomfortable set of circumstances—that is abstinence, or recovery, or transforming our addictive behavior into a uh, healthy addiction—whatever our paths may may be, probably they're going to be uncomfortable. So we got to focus on living our best lives. That's that's what I've been able to do. I'm so fortunate. Today, uh, I look back upon 12 years of freedom from drugs, having been a volunteer first responder for the fire department in San Francisco, where I used to live. So I I can say to myself, hey, yeah, maybe I was that bullied kid. Maybe I never pursued my dream of being an author. But you know what? I was a volunteer first responder. For, uh, for, for many years. Yeah, maybe I smoked so much meth selfishly that I believed in uh, a 9-11 conspiracy, but you know, still I was the uh, first responder and, and I, I did something to live my best life. And, and now I can look at myself as the person I am today, knowing that, that I love myself. And love myself doesn't mean I'm, I'm a great person or better than anyone else. It means that I don't need drugs as a solution anymore i found newer, better solutions. And what it all, uh, behind it all is the spiritual principles. Uh, spiritual principles allow us to overcome fear. Spiritual principles allow us to overcome that uncomfort. If we're going to venture forth into the unknown, into the inf- unfamiliar, we're going to face fear. A belief in the spirits, a belief in God, uh, faith-based practices, um, meditation. Really, whatever form of spirituality is most appropriate to the individual, that that, there's a there's a great quote from the Dalai Lama. Someone once asked the Dalai Lama, what's the best religion? And the person thought the Dalai Lama was going to say, you know, Buddhism, because it's the oldest or something like that. The Dalai Lama responds that the best religion is the one that makes a practitioner the best person right the, the kindest the uh, the most empathetic the whatever it is that to me is a wonderful way to look at spirituality uh, and, to, and to use spirituality as a means to lead our best lives whatever brand of spirituality makes you the practitioner the best person that's a form that's right for you it's focusing when we focus on not only leaving our addictive behavior behind us but being the best versions of ourselves leading our best lives we put spiritual practices behind that, whatever spiritual practices resonate most deeply with us as individuals, that's a recipe for success. So long as we stay at it, so long as we persevere, so long as we we set forth on the journey with the intent of continuing to put one foot in front of the other, despite the hardships we're certain to encounter, we can overcome very, very challenging obstacles.
0: That was beautiful. If you don't mind, can we rewind a little bit and take us to how you got to the point where you stopped using, where you got clean, Were you arrested, did you go to treatment? What, what, what were the events and the circumstances in your life that led you to that point of not using drugs anymore?
1: The circumstances were a state of extreme psychosis do or enhanced by heavy, heavy methamphetamine use. I got to a point in October, 2007, where I owned a total of, I think I owned six things. That was it. I owned six things. I owned a filthy black baseball jacket. I owned a filthy black pair of slacks. I owned a pair of brown Converse sneakers held together with duct tape. I owned uh, a cell phone with maybe two minutes left on it. I owned a, a, a food stamps card in San Francisco. They, they would give you a credit card type, type thing that you could use uh, as food stamps. And in my case, what I did was I would take my food stamps, go to the supermarket, buy a bunch of steaks and trade the steaks to my drug dealer for meth. Right. So my food stamp card had had no money on it. It was just a plastic card. And the other thing I owned was a tuxedo, <laughs> a tuxedo, you know, maybe a tuxedo shirt and the shoes. I don't know. My final few months of methamphetamine addiction, I, and even uh, even the strip clubs in San Francisco, the, the strip clubs treated me well. They, they gave me a chance. I really made them pay for it. I was a terrible employee. I showed up drunk and high and stole from them was living in a flophouse hotel, hadn't paid the rent for weeks, months, maybe. I hadn't showered or brushed my teeth in months. This, this is a guy, you know, me, who worked for Stanford University and the other things that, that we discussed earlier. So I lived in this flophouse hotel, but a few blocks away was a very fancy, fancy downtown hotel. I wandered into that downtown hotel on October 19th, 2007. It was a Friday night wearing my tuxedo, my filthy, ragged tuxedo. Inside the fancy hotel was a ballroom. Inside the ballroom, a wedding reception was taking place. I figured to this wedding reception and, you know, blend in wearing (laughs) wearing my tuxedo. You know, maybe someone will mistake me for a groomsman though there was a buffet i wanted something to eat there was a bar i wanted something to drink as i stood at the threshold of that hotel ballroom at some level it occurred to me in the years leading up to that night in october 2007 i had been invited to five weddings Okay. now the the wedding reception I'm describing, these are total strangers in that fancy hotel ballroom. But in the years before that, 10 of my closest friends, five couples had invited me to their weddings. One couple had asked me to be their best man. Out of those five weddings I was invited to on that night leading up to that night in October 2007, you know how many weddings I showed up to? That's right, zero, <laughs> not, not one. There were other things going on at the time, but basically on October 19th, Friday, October 19th, 2007, at some level I realized just how far I had sunk, just how much I had hurt the people closest to me, how much I'd hurt myself. I went home, back to my Flophouse Hotel that night. There was a little bit of meth left in my glass pipe. I smoked it. There was a little bit of a, a roach, a marijuana cigarette. I smoked that. The next morning, a Saturday, I woke up with the two or three minutes left on my cell phone. I called my uncle. who was my family member, uh, like a father figure to me. And I called my 12-step sponsor, a guy who had been my 12-step sponsor in some of the times I bounced in and out of rehab leading up to that night. Haven't used meth since. Been clean from meth ever since. Um, I've been in recovery for almost all of those 13 years or or however long it's been. I worked very, very hard. I, I got to the point in October, 2007, where my choices had boiled down to only a few. I could get locked up. I could get covered up, meaning, you know, six feet of earth covered up, or I could get sobered up. Th- those are my two. Cho- I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I, I, at some level I realized in October, 2007 at that fancy hotel ballroom where the wedding reception was taking place. I I, it, I knew at some level that I could either get locked up, covered up, or sobered up. Now, maybe I could have gone into long-term homelessness or, or something for, for a while, but really to me, I had to get to the point where my, my options had, had dwindled down to, to such a limited few that gave me the impetus to work very, very hard. From there, I began going to 12 step meetings two, three, four, sometimes five meetings a day. I got a job in a Christmas tree lot. Here I am, the guy who used to work for Stanford University and Genentech, working for, uh, for tips, you know, hauling Christmas trees and tying them to the tops of people's cars. I worked on a UPS truck, so it was right around the holidays, so they needed extra help delivering holiday packages. I worked even harder at the spiritual part of my life. I began to immerse myself very deeply in teachings from diverse people and groups, from the Hasidic Jews to the Hare Krishnas, to the Hindu spiritual texts, everywhere in between, Christian Christian pastors, Uh, Irish street fighters who got their brand of spirituality in various ways. Uh, I would read and study Zen monks and their teachings. My path was one of finding My own brand of spirituality, like like the Dalai Lama said, uh, the brand of spirituality I pursued was a brand that would make me the best person. And while I'm still to this day, very much a work in progress, while I continue to strive and search for ways to improve myself, by extension, the world around me. These were the circumstances back in 2007 that led me to the path I'm on today. And, uh, you know, just finally, I'm so grateful to the incredible people I've met in the FBI, in the San Francisco Police Department, the the beautiful brothers and sisters who are serving time in prisons, who took uh, who connected with me on a human to human level, our sisters and brothers behind bars. So many of them inspire me to become a better person, and in all that, my wonderful family. My family has given me and continues to give me so much incredible love and support despite how, how badly I treated them. Today, I'm the best son, I'm the best brother, I'm the best cousin, I'm the best nephew I've ever been. Very far from perfect, but the best I've ever been. And there are many others that uh, I haven't mentioned. Many people who support me, who support, uh, who support our sisters and brothers who are incarcerated or were incarcerated, turning their lives around many people, firefighters, military people, teachers, and certainly spiritual practitioners and Brett, persons such as yourself and the, the amazing Sydney, who your listeners can't hear right now, but, uh, who's on the, uh, who's been helping me with, uh, with her incredible team. And just uh, remarkable, remarkable people. Writers, p- persons in recovery who've written their stories and told their stories. Famous people, people you've never heard of. Uh, just incredible people who, who share their stories. You know, success in life in some ways is like assembling a jigsaw puzzle. Every story we hear gives us one more piece you know sometimes we'll hear a story and it's like an edge piece you know you're assembling a jigsaw puzzle and you love to get that edge piece or certainly the corner piece right so some stories we hear we're like wow that's a that's a corner piece to my own life's nice puzzle then sometimes we hear a story and maybe it's just a, a piece of blue sky or a piece of green grass yet every story we hear almost always gives us something we can take with us to piece together the puzzles to our own lives I myself am just incredibly fortunate that so many remarkable women and men have shared their stories with me, given me pieces to my puzzle and, you know, someday maybe I'll have the whole picture assembled.
0: Man, I love that analogy of the puzzle pieces. That's that's fantastic, man. I don't think I've ever heard anybody explain it quite like that. We're coming towards the end of the show, and usually I like to just open the floor up to the guests to share whatever it is that's on their heart, whether it's recovery related or not. If you want to give a message to to a newcomer, if you want to, if you want to plug a cause or something that you're passionate about, whatever that is, it's on your heart that you want to share.
1: Oh yeah, thank you so much. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, consider striving to recognize the good that our, uh, the women and men who wear badges do the women and men in law enforcement in no way do we give blanket endorsement to all things law enforcement. We know, especially in these current times, that terrible, terrible tragedies happen in the name of law enforcement. We do not condone or endorse those anything like that. Still, uh, there are many women and men who wear badges who do a lot of good, for their communities, right? Um, so, you know, consider recognizing the, the good things that are done by people in law enforcement, as well as the efforts by women and men who are or were incarcerated, who are turning their lives around. And by the same token, in no way do we endorse actions that hurt people. In no way do we endorse actions taken by people like me who committed crimes and who hurt others through our poor decisions, still uh, consider recognizing the efforts of our sisters and brothers behind bars and who were behind bars who are turning their lives around. Finally, you know, really consider adopting that spiritual path. Think about it as climbing a mountain. You're You're looking at a mountain. In order to climb a mountain, it's pretty simple for the most part. You need a mountain and you need a goal, which is to get to the mountaintop. You need preparation. You need to have a map or a trail or both. And the map or trail is is created or put forth by people who have been to the mountaintop before you. You need to be prepared insofar as you'll need water, food, a tent. If it's going to take you longer than a day to get to the top of the mountain, you'll need the proper physical conditioning. You have all of that. And it's really a simple matter of putting one foot in front of the other and repeating that over and over and over. And if you do those things, barring any unforeseen catastrophes, which, you know, hopefully you'll be prepared for if, if there are grizzly bears on your mountain, hopefully you'll have brought bear spray with you. If there are, uh, you know, snowstorms out of nowhere, hopefully you'll have checked the weather beforehand and you'll be prepared with your, your shelter achieving success and and living our best lives to me in many ways resembles that climb up a mountaintop. If we go forth with the intention of allowing humans and the spirits to be our guides. And to me, the spirit, it's very important to think of spirit guides because for me, you know, my mountaintop is, uh, is not something I'll achieve in this life. Probably my mountaintop is, uh, is heaven or enlightenment or Nirvana, or, you know, it goes by various names. So for me, I think of the spirit guides because I, I don't, as far as I know, human beings have not gotten to my mountaintop and, and still exist as human beings to guide me. But for, for many of us think of what your mountaintop is and who your guides might be, how to best prepare and then set one foot in front of the other. As long as you do those things, And you set one foot in front of the other. If we, if we decide, Hey, no, I don't want up this mountain anymore. You know, that it's too steep. We're going to encounter obstacles going up the mountain. And some of those obstacles are going to be incredibly daunting. We're going to encounter rock walls. We need to climb up. We're going to encounter inclement weather. We're going to encounter diverging trails and uh, trails that take us through, uh, through, through very challenging, you know, underbrush or whatever it might be. The point is to to get up a mountain, if it's a mountain worth climbing, we're going to encounter obstacles. Keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep that goal of that mountaintop, understand what it is. If it's a a goal you have in in this life, that's great. If it's a goal you have that's for, you know, if you choose to believe your journey is gonna continue past this life, that's a wonderful goal too keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep listening to stories, keep getting pieces of it. Now I'm mixing up all kinds of metaphors, but (laughs) I keep getting pictures, pieces of your, your, maybe your jigsaw puzzle is a picture of a mountain. So (laughs) whatever it may be, you know, you can do it. I I believe in you. I I believe in your ability to persevere. When you persevere, when you have your, uh, your spirit guides and your human guides, and when you go forth in the spirit of, of bringing uh, your best self, in service to, to your own goals and, uh, the betterment of those around you, you can do remarkable things in your life. I believe in you. And, uh, I hope you believe in yourself,
0: man, that was, that was great. Would you mind telling the listeners where to find your book or if they want to follow your journey? Are there any social media accounts that they should be following? Just tell us more about where we can connect with you.
1: Yes, thank you. You can go to my website, which is uh, www.edkressy.com or go to Facebook. Uh, My name's uh, uncommon enough so that if you go into Facebook and just type in Ed Cressy, I would love to be friends with you and would love to connect with you on Facebook.
0: Well, I appreciate you taking your time out of your day, coming on the show, sharing part of your story with us. I I really do appreciate it, man. I think it's going to be that corner piece for a lot of people in their journey, and I think it's going to inspire a lot of people. So I, I appreciate you coming on today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Brett. And again, happy birthday. Happy uh, happy one-year anniversary uh, for your, your podcast, One Year Anniversary. It's amazing work. You're bringing a lot of good and light to the world.
0: I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Ed, thank you so much for coming on the show today and telling us about your book and all the work that you're doing to help people that are incarcerated. If you would like to find out more about Ed, his information will be in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.